then you can get two. Yeah. If it's a little dicey tonight, go ahead and go for two. Yeah. I'm fixing to work that, work that out for you guys, but just so you can, you know, have your territory and very good, very good. While that's happening, um, this is a product my wife just put out. This is called Shifting Atmospheres 101. Um, it's part of a series called Encountering God series. This is the third book in that series. Uh, Faith Blatchford is a friend of ours and a great minister, and she has done the first two books in that series, and this is the third. What this is, it accompanies Donna's message called Shifting Atmospheres, and that's been a real popular message, and like probably the number one bestseller out of Bethel's school uh, web store for two or three years, I forget. But it's really, really well received. People uh, really enjoy hearing that training and teaching. It's how to uh, go into an environment and um, recognize the enemy's uh, kind of kind of the environment of the enemy that he is trying to set up. You know, he, he comes into places and, and, you know, he speaks in first person. You know that? I feel really scared. He'll say that. And we, we personalize that. We, we say, oh, I'm really scared. And uh, you can come into environments. They'll say all sorts of things. And uh, a lot of times you can read those environments and recognize that it's not yours and, and then shift that atmosphere, which is that's how it's supposed to work. We're, in a, we're the highest spiritual authority on the planet. You realize that? Yeah. I mean, the Holy Spirit in us working through us, there's not a higher authority but we don't know that very well. And so we tend to uh, react uh, often to environments when we should be affecting it. We're affected by it. Bill, this isn't in the manual, but this reminds me of uh, this idea of shifting atmospheres is key. One time long ago, once upon a time, uh, Bill Johnson was teaching a session in Scripture, which I love. It's out of Genesis. It's where... Abraham is wandering, and he falls asleep. Was this Abraham or Jacob? I'm losing the name now. He falls asleep. Jacob, isn't it? Falls asleep on a stone. Remember that? He falls asleep with his head on a stone, and while he's asleep, he gets this vision, and he sees this ladder, and he sees angels ascending and descending. And he wakes up, and he says, Oh, my goodness, I didn't realize it was, I was in Bethel, which means the house of God. So he takes off his shoes and he begins to worship. And, that, and Bill, was te- Bill Johnson was teaching about that idea, about this ladder. And, um, and he made this comment. He said that where I go, I've learned I have a ladder and I bring it with me. And I love that. You know, and Bill is, is really good at coming into places and shifting atmospheres. Yeah. Now... That's, uh, that was probably the first idea I ever heard about, wow, we can, affect, we can affect the surroundings instead of being affected by them. We can be more than a victim. We can be a hero in an environment. Anyway, that's, that's the tone of the shifting atmospheres, and then this little book would go with that. Um, Donna, can I have permission to give this away? Put you on the spot there. I don't know what you're going to say, no. Um, you know what? I think it's right here. Yeah, yeah. bless you in that. It's a great little book. It's a little workbook. You'll love it. This, I'll do real fast. This is a message, uh, one of my favorite ones that Donna's done. I'm talking all about Donna tonight because I'm in trouble. I'm trying to fix some stuff. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm getting some points. I learned about that. I am now, yeah. Um, 
Anyway, I really love this message because she, she stole it from me. Um, <laughs> no, she didn't. She does this. She gets, she's in a sozo, and she interacts with a person, and um, this person was dealing with some things, which I won't, I won't illustrate because I don't uh, remember all the facts, but as Donna is sozoing this person, she gets a picture of a shelf, and on it uh, were three ingredients, and one of them was missing. And uh, the, the ingredients were power, love, and a sound mind. And this person was missing some of her ingredients. And so because, let's say, love was missing in this, in this thing that she's being sozoed over, which is normal. This is why we get a sozo, right? While she's interacting with this thing, Donna sees that this woman in the spirit has taken other spices and flavored her life. And that was, um, I think it was intimidation or anger. So in the absence of power and love and a sound mind, if you're missing one of those, like love, you can, you can kind of get by by using other things, other spices, but those other spices don't make a good recipe, right? So interesting. Uh, anyway, this is a great message she has. Recipe for a fear-free life. So that's that. And I won't give that away, but um, I will give this one away if someone wants it. This is, I don't remember if I taught this, but this is a story out of, my life when I was a kid and my uncle. Did I share the pray forward? Okay, so here's pray forward. I won't beat it up again. Um, I, I love this. This is about how to change your orientation in your in your prayer life to um, praying into next into next week and the week after and the week after. And the way this works is it's 52 weeks. Now this isn't like a rule book, right? This I don't have like a a little booklet you can buy, and on each week there's a prayer, pray this prayer, because I don't live like that. It works really loose. It's just an idea. Loosely like, what do, I need, what do I think I need next week? So think about, what do you need next week? Maybe it's money. God, I could really use some money next week. Or maybe it's, I need some protection. Then just pray that. Okay. So pray it for next week like you're throwing seed into it. And then what do you want from two weeks from now? Uh, you know what? I want some revelation, man. I want to hear from God. So in two weeks, I'm throwing prayers like seed two weeks ahead. Three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, all the way to 52. That's a whole year ahead. And then what you do is a week passes, and you continue that pray, prayer. What do I need next week? Pretty soon, you're walking in weeks that you've been praying for, four weeks, for many weeks. Does that make sense? And this illustration, the reason this is called Pray It Forward is a little, it's called alfalfa. It's a hay. The reason is because the story out of my young life, I realized um, in a certain exchange with my uncle, who was a rancher, asked me to do some things uh, for him. He was sick, and I covered it. And I was so, uh, I was so proud as a little boy to, be doing, boy to be doing this for my uncle, right? And uh, so I ended up watering this field every day. And then pretty soon... As days went on, of course, my uncle was better now, but that field grew. It was deep in these flowers. It's a beautiful plant. It grows these purple flowers when it blossoms. It's absolutely spectacular. I remember as a little boy looking at that going, this is my field. And it was a real interaction with the shift from being a hireling to an heir. Does that make sense? And so this is how to seize your prayer life like an heir rather than a hireling. So if anyone would like this, um, I, I think it's this, I'm going to give it to this cute lady here in the, on the other end.
I would give it to you, but you're not as cute as her. And um, yeah, you've heard it anyway. Yeah. Very good, very good. Well, we're about. We've got a lot of information to cover, and uh, I'm going to work hard at not making this like a fire hose, but it tends to be that way. We've got three sessions. Um, this is about uh, 10 to 12 hours of material. Um, I'm going to trim it down, which I can pretty easily, and we're going to give you guys uh, what I think is a really new way of looking at your finances, to looking at your home, of perceiving money differently, of getting on the offense in your life. I have a belief, fundamental, fundamental belief that if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. And I believe that we can aim our finances um, at these assignments God has for us, and we are sure to hit that. I believe God will see that, um, see us walk out our faithfulness. And again, I think you guys know me well enough, but if you don't know me, I just need to say, this is not a wealth, health and wealth doctrine. This is not a prosperity doctrine. I don't... I, I don't like that message. I'm not saying that that is bad or evil. I'm just saying I can't go there because it makes me crazy. The idea that I can declare a matter on finances and see it come to pass because of something in me that's entitled to that. I, I, I don't believe that. I haven't experienced it. I don't experience life that way. There are some amazing teachers that teach that, and so I want to leave space there for them. You know, those guys are amazing. Those guys and gals are amazing. So I'm not, I'm not trying to shine anything negative on that. I'm just saying this is not that. This is based on the prosperous soul material. If you haven't heard that, I'd encourage you to go back and there's some podcasts you can listen on that. But it's all about being faithful. Be faithful and engineer the stuff in your life that's crippling you and uh, weakening you or making you believe crazy stuff that's crazy stuff meaning not in scripture the bible is the authority and when that stuff isn't in the bible you've got a lie you've believed and we need to get that that's our assignment as the bride of christ to make ourselves ready and so we go to war on that and we're just faithful in that and the increase is all up to father god that's his job and what's fun is the bible says he's a rewarder of those who seek him i do think that there is a very strong likelihood that you're going to prosper and increase. In fact, the Bible says that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. So that's what this is. And if you're nervous about that, you can be at peace because I'm not going to teach that. I've got a prayer uh, that we're going to do right now because, because I like to have God in the room. And um, I like that a lot. I, uh, again believe that Christians, oh man, here, well, here we go. I, I, I'm using myself as the guinea pig here, but, but I think I shared this last time. That orphan spirit, has anyone heard of the phrase orphan spirit? Did I talk about the orphan spirit? Um, so here I am, a young man, I give my heart to Jesus. Right? I bow my knee, just right out of the textbook. I'm in a big old fire and brimstone church, and this guy gives a, Hell and damnation message about pot smokers. Oddly enough, I was convicted. <laughs> Don't know why, just but saying. just saying. <laughs> yeah. 
don't draw any dots there. I'm just saying somehow that happened. So um, I got really convicted and really afraid, and I was... Um, I, uh, I, I walked forward in this big church. For me, it was big in front of everybody. And, you know, it was, it was, I was intimidated and embarrassed. But you know how that is when you push through. Because, like, you're really hard, you're, your heart is starving for something. And I knew it. I had this conversion to Christ. I met the door, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I met Jesus in this night. And um, it's like I came to the door, and I turned the doorknob, and I walked through the door into eternity, I was born again. But I had this belief system inside of me. This experience, and it, it, it was just where I was and who I was, and that is that I just circumstantially had not the greatest relationship with my dad, my father at the time. It was rough. And um, we spent, in fact, probably the next probably 25 years working that out. So my dad now is home with the Lord. But in those days, uh, it, was, it was a rough deal. So uh, my perception of a father was pretty banged up. So when I walked through the door of Jesus, I kind of stopped at the door. Because Jesus came to do something, that is to show us the Father. Right? But I was like freaked out by fathers. And you know what? Jesus is pretty cool, so I'm just going to chill right here at the door. And I decided to do that for about the next 20 years, 20, probably 25 years. It wasn't that long ago, and uh, I, was, I realized that we, I believe this is viral in the church, at least in American church, that we go through the door, because the devil's been working on fathers and fatherhood for probably as long as he's been doing stuff. Because he can't have us figure out our identity in Christ, right? He can't have us understand that we were adopted as sons when we don't get that sonship thing. The devil doesn't want that. Because when we get that, we get really ferocious. There's like things we push over. We become Superman. We become, we get it on. And the devil's worried about that. So I think it's across the church. I think it, we open the door, we come in, and we kind of stay at the door. We fellowship with Christ. We invite the Holy Spirit into our, into our lives. We know Father God is over there. We talk to him. Thank you, God. Yeah. Now I lay me down to sleep. Did you hear that one? Okay. Um, so it's kind of this distant relationship. And I've been learning, well, we got to fix that. In fact, coming through the door... Theologically, I might mess this up, and my brother here can fix it. Pastor can. I'm the accountant, right? I get to get away with this stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there's another salvation to be made. I'm saying that I didn't trust God, and I and it was so in me I didn't even recognize it, and so I avoided the relationship with the Father. And yet, Jesus came to bring us to the Father. So, my theory is that there's space that I left between Jesus. And the Father is where the orphan spirit exploits. He comes in and fills that space. You realize there's no space, but it's how I perceive Father God, right? And so because of that lie I'm believing, where did I get the lie? My experiences with my dad, circumstances, you know, all the stuff, what I've been told and taught and learned. But that is... 
the territory of a sozo. That's what a sozo does. It introduces us to the Father, doesn't it? We sit and listen, and we do things like, Papa, what's the lie I'm believing? Oh my gosh, that's incredible. I just heard God say that I don't trust him. Or whatever he'll say, what are we doing? We're learning to lean in to Father. Okay? That is so important. And this is why we pray this prayer. Can you believe all of that to introduce a prayer? <laughs> Man, I, I am. I've been in the car the whole way, and Donna was sleeping, so I had nobody to talk to. <laughs> I got some words, man. We're going to use these things. <laughs> I'm teasing. Yeah, so I pray this prayer because and the prayer is what Jesus taught us. He's talking about the keys to the kingdom, and then he says this thing, whatever you have bound on earth will have been bound in heaven, whatever you... Loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Do you remember that? And so I like to pray this prayer. And then I'm going to ask Father God to come into the room. And what I believe is that Father God is not afraid of us. He like gets right in there. <laughs> he like pushes right in. He wedges in between us. He's like, scoot over. Get, let me get in here. He's not timid. He's awesome. So I'm going to ask him to wedge his way right in between us. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what's going on in my heart. I hope it happens in here and in yours as well. So, Father God, we are so grateful. Oh! Oh! For our salvation through the door that is Jesus. Jesus is the way, the way, the truth, and the, li the life. And we are grateful for you, Jesus for healing and saving our sinful hearts and placing us in this hallway to lead us to, Father. And so now, God, we ask. Wow. <laughs> we ask that you, Father God, would come into this room right now. And I can, I can imagine this. The king and his train his robes following behind and his, the train of his robe fills the room. Ho! The Bible says the train, his train fills the temple. And we ask you, God, to come into this room. We ask you to nestle and wedge in between us. We ask you to make yourself at home, to jostle us around. Because we are learning how to come face to face with Father, with Father God. We're trying to say... Wow, Jesus, you came to show us this. Oh, my goodness. We will not settle for less. Father God, you are, you are better than we can imagine. Thank you for sitting beside us. Oh, we ask that you would tutor us and teach us. We ask for tonight and tomorrow that it would just be anointed for your good pleasure, God. We ask your will to be done. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we know that in heaven, God, you have bound a bunch of stuff. And we say, we bind those things now on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we know that you've loosed some amazing things in heaven. How? Oh. And so, we agree with your prayer. 
and we say, we loose what on earth, what you have loosed in heaven. Thank you, King. I pray you establish it in this city, in the cities that are represented in this room. Establish it in our homes. Every little place where you live, where you lay your head, like Jacob, we ask that this would, those would be the house of God places. We ask you to stand ladders in our homes. I want you to see your own kitchen, living room, bedroom, hallway. I want you to see God just stand a ladder in that place, God. Let it be done. If nothing else happens, we ask for a deposit of ladders standing in our places of where we live, where we eat, where we think, where we hide, where we heal. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Now, you guys good? Anybody sleep? We had our eyes closed for a while there. I don't want anybody nodding off. Okay. Does everybody have your hand out? Does everybody have a pen? Why don't you rustle around and get yourself a pen and a handout? And right on the top of the handout is this little thing called survey number one. I'm going to give you three. Oh, we have more. Did we run out of copies? Who doesn't have one? Ran out of copies. Awesome. Here's one right here. There's a couple more up front. Anybody else need one? One? I've got one more here. There you go. Okay, I'm sorry. That's okay. It'll come. It, you all actually, if you have a manual, it's in the back of your manual on uh, page 95. And I just copied it out because I'd like you to fill out this little survey. You don't need your name on it. You turn it back into me because it gives me something to look at tonight, kind of figure out how to aim tomorrow. Does that make sense? You're just going to answer it really fast. Ready, set, go. You're done? Overachiever. <laughs> Sir. Yeah, you know, you can uh, maybe A and B or girl and boy or man and woman. Um, or you can say it jointly. I think that's fair. You've got one minute left. Thirty seconds. If you don't know the answer, just cheat. <laughs> you guys are awesome. You get my humor. Oh, it, it's it's done, huh? Okay, no worries. Okay.
All right, wrap it up. Why don't you hand your um, very top secret surveys to the center? And you can just, what I do in class, I just throw them on the floor and somebody will walk through and grab them and later, okay? So just move them to the middle, set them on the floor. I'm going to keep teaching here. Good job. Uh, realize that's just for me to get a feel on the room and where we're a aiming at tomorrow. There's no wrong answers. So while that's going on, um, I'd like you guys to get in groups of two or three. I don't mean we're going to like rearrange the chairs or anything. Why don't you just kind of get to where you can kind of hear two or three people. All right? And I want you to think about these two questions, and then I'm going to write them on the board, what, what is kind of comes out of this little dialogue after we're done talking. I'm just going to get some of the feelings in this class on the board so we know what we're aiming at. The first question is, this is just to salt your idea. Why are you in here? Like, what is it? I came, I came to this thing because I think Steve's shirts are the coolest things ever. Which, by the way, I bought here last time when I forgot all my clothes. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't go again. I can't afford to go again. I spent too much money last time. But I don't need to. I got all these awesome clothes and I go home and everyone's like, that shirt's cool. I'm like, yeah, you can't get it around here. <laughs> I'm sorry, yours sucks. Mine's cool. That's no, I don't say that. That's I think it though. Anyway, would you guys stop pulling me off track here? So it's you know, but you came to this thing not for my shirts. I know this. You're thinking, oh, this is a this is a class, a prosperous soul class on the home. Maybe this has something to do with finances. Maybe he's going to talk about budgeting or getting out of debt. What's he going to do? So you probably have some preconceived notions for why you're in the room. And the, and, the, and the other idea is, what do you want to take away? You see what I mean? See, I believe that if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. So I'm trying to get a little dialogue. We're just going to take a couple minutes. And you're going to just lean into two or three other people and uh, just say, well, you know what? I think I'm after this, and I'd kind of like to take away this kind of a plan. Does that make sense? And then what we're going to do, this is like two minutes. So you don't be telling everybody your lifetime story. Don't do what I'm doing, okay? Do what I'm saying. Get right together. Talk about what your expectations are. And then in about two minutes, I'm going to stop you. And then I'm just going to kind of move around the room. Who, what are you thinking? What are you after? I'm just going to write some of those on the board. Ready, set, go.
Okay. Yeah, we need, I, I got a few more minutes. I got about 30 seconds left. Finish up your chatting, and then we're going to hear from you guys. I know. It's like a church with a bunch of love in it. All right, start wrapping it up. Make sure everybody's had a chance. You guys have the best answers up here? Yeah. But you don't want to say something dumb. It's got to be like really deep. <laughs> nice. Okay. It's a deal. I won't embarrass you. This is good. All right. All right, let's stop. That was fun. All right. So Brent is going to help me by holding the microphone so that we get it on the recorder uh, for people that listen later on. And so uh, why don't you show me hands? Just uh, if you don't raise your hand and volunteer, I'll just start picking you, which I'll probably do anyway. But is anybody wants to throw down first? Maybe one or two ideas. How about one idea? Who wants to go first? Right in the back. Oh. Perfect. Brave woman. Just one idea. What am I saying? You, what are you... <laughs> we need you to sing. Um, I want to be rid of the poverty spirit for good. That's excellent. Be excellent. free of it. Someone else. No, I had the same one. Getting rid of the poverty spirit. Excellent. Double done. Boom, boom. Um, our consensus on wisdom in managing business, um, new perspectives, and we want your anointing. Oh. <laughs> and your green shirt. <laughs> Teal. You don't want to see what's underneath this. This is not pretty. <laughs> okay, so uh, help me with this one. Wisdom. Wisdom. Business. Excellent. And then the anointing idea. All right. Next. I want to learn how to real mean, real mean by uh, prospering the soul. In terms of uh, connecting with, heart connection with God and, and favor with others. Okay. Man, these are hard ones. <laughs> In the next 30 minutes, we want all these answers. Yeah, okay, it's a deal. I'll do it. I want to learn to, like, have so much money that I can give, like, learning to give, but give wisely, but to give, like, abundantly and to help those, like, in need and for what God's called me to do, like, those in, like, dire need, like, I want to have a ton of money and give it to them. All right. That's called philanthropy. Philanthropy. Yeah. Uh, how can I be the stock market? Okay. <laughs> if I knew that, I would charge a lot more for this course. <laughs> but I will give you my best shot, Ismail. Yeah, at your prosperous soul one, God gave me a kingdom business. Okay. Your prosperous soul two, he was doing heart work on me and yeah. preparing me. So I'm here for what the next pieces are to turn that kingdom business into um, a prosperity and abundance and overflow 
to be um, like the Joseph anointing. Whoa. Um, there it is. Of it flowing. Ho! Flowing. Ho! Through me. Um, to where it is he wants it to go. Ho! Okay. That, I believe that's spelled H-O. Sorry. <laughs> ho! Got okay. It. Ho! I'm just going to put that on the board by its own. I feel like I have an anointing or, or some, at least some calling to, uh, to have some wealth for the kingdom. But I've been, um, there's been a lot of fear issues related to that, and I want to kind of have some insight and revelation to where that is coming from that's blocking my calling to, you know, have that kingdom okay. pro- uh, prosperity, basically. Okay. Provision. All right. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. So how do I write that one down? How about, um, how about breakthrough? in um, prosperity, I guess. Oh, I like that. Kingdom finances. All right. I see two more hands. Is that good, or do you want how many? Yeah, I think uh, maybe a couple more is all. Okay. Since number one and five are, or one and four are taken, I'm I'm just going to give a different one. Okay. Um. Get out strategies. Um, practical steps to get out of debt. Nice. See, on debt. All right. Let's do two more. Um, so you have a kingdom perspective and foundation in finances, so being offensive towards being on the offensive versus being defensive to whatever the world is okay. putting in your situation, my situation. Excellent. You can say two more from now, right, Stephen? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shoot, now there's three. Now I'm in trouble. Yeah. Principles in creating wealth. Principles in creating wealth. Okay, let's do one more. Um, We've been living on one income for four years now, and we've been trying to own a home. And we rent a little apartment. And um, so I guess I just want to note we're really good at our finances, but we can't afford this area. and just need wisdom on, we have three little kids now, one's five months, two and a half and four, and they need a backyard Aww. to play in, you know, and yeah. um, we go to the parks, <laughs> Yeah. but mommy needs a big backyard, so <laughs> if you could give wisdom on how to do that. Okay. We don't right. want to move. <laughs> Please don't tell them to move to Reading. <laughs> no. <laughs> Get a yard. <laughs> no. <laughs> so. Was that it, or did you want one we'll more? We'll do one more. 12's in the Bible. I think trust, really trusting the Lord with this part of my heart and whatever he says do with the money. Wow. All right. Look at that list, huh? So um, I'm thinking we're not going to get to any of these. <laughs> But the pastor has the next 12 months lined out on what he's going to teach. <laughs> Teasing you. Um, interesting what's up here. You see, there's, uh, I have a, uh, in my 
in my arsenal, I have things that I feel like God has been teaching me about creating wealth. And I feel like uh, I, I get to open that can now and then and throw little pieces out. And I will do that where it seems to fit and try to answer all these before we're done with tomorrow, tomorrow's last session, okay? But um, what God has done to me is, uh, he said, I, you know, I really want you teaching this church where I send you. I want you to teach the church to carry because learning the tips and ideas are wasted on a person who can't carry the weight of that responsibility. And so this is fun. This is like, you guys are like uh, just such a great group for me because I've been able to come and teach Prosperous Soul two times, which I've not been able to come back to a place and teach, teach it like that. Um, I, obviously, I teach at Bethel, and that's a lot of fun. I do that over 12 weeks. So that's still pretty condensed, what you guys have had. But it gives me something to build on. So that's why I'm excited. Um, what I'll do is, over the next three sessions, tonight, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to give you a way to look at finances that I think is unique. I, I haven't heard it taught anywhere. Um, in, well, what I mean is by you know, the, the big teachers um, and over, over decades. I haven't heard anybody teach it like this. And I realized, oh, I think this is how I think because I have this history of being taught how to run businesses. And it's like, oh, this is where businesses fail and they're missing this element. So I obviously it kind of just leaks out in my home life, right? And so Donna and I kind of run our home in a, a little bit different way. And that's what I'm going to give you. But what I think it is, is it's still, it's, it's, a, it's a vehicle to get in. And what Prosperous Home is, is a defensive method. This is the system that breaks cycles. If you'll look at page five in your manual, if you have a manual. If you don't have a manual, that's fine. You can just listen in. On page five, I explained that I think I have four books. And you are holding book number one. And the first one is strategies for mastering your money. That's what you hold in front of you. I've called it prosperous home. Strategies for mastering your money. That's because the, I think that's the place to start because many of us are mastered by money. We are running, there, we're, the month ends, the money ends before the month ends. And so it rules our nighttime. We worry about we worry about money, we have nightmares, we have debt, we work for the bank, a lot of us. A lot of us, you know. So it's not anything to be ashamed of or embarrassed about, but it's something that we can actually engineer our way into getting free. And uh, Donna and I are in somewhere in that journey. We're not, I'm not standing up here telling you uh, we are debt-free. We're not. We still owe some debt on our house. But we have navigated our way out of some pretty... I think, pretty significant debt. And I'll share those stories. But I'm living what I'm teaching. But step one in this course is to break cycles. Break cycles of spending, break, break cycles of debt. All right? Now, the second item on this page, number two, is a wealth building and the laws of money. Which is, the reason I'm bringing this up is that's what you guys mostly hit on right here. 
And that's pretty fun stuff because I think it's in the heart God's, of God's people to begin to mount wealth. I do think this is a season. I've shared this before, so I won't go into it all. But I do think that God, again, is repeating the season of Joseph in the book of Genesis where uh, Pharaoh was having a dream and no one could interpret the dream. And finally Joseph came. They called him out of prison. They called him out of bondage. Where is most of the church today? In bondage to debt. But the church is going to get out of debt and we're going to go speak to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is the kings of the world. They're going to start listening to us. We're going to give them some advice, but we're better. We're going to give some direction. We're going to give them purpose and meaning. We're going to be able to assign that stuff to speak the truth. And Pharaoh has the anointing to hear it. Pharaoh has the anointing to hear it. But we're not going to get there until we first get out of bondage. And that's what Prosperous Home is about. So even though I sprinkle these out, even though I hit these, what's going on in my head is I want you to get what's in the manual and, and start navigating your life on purpose. All right? Really begin to engineer your life to get, to get free, to get powerful. You know, when we have our spirit of adoption as sons, which closes that gap of the orphan spirit so you know who you are, and when you're aiming at what Papa has said, I want you to go do, now you've got purpose in your life. There's basically no force in, in heaven or earth that will stop you. The enemy doesn't want that to happen. But I think that's what we're right at the verge of. If you look down at the, third, at the bottom paragraph on page 5, first line says, People who are truly wealthy have learned to aim their money at their purpose. And purpose here is defined as the commitment to something or someone higher than themselves. That idea comes out of a book called Man's Search for Meaning, the author is Viktor Frankl. And uh, if you want to hear the reference to that, it's, I can point you at it, but Viktor was an amazing believer and uh, wrote a powerful book while he was in, in his, he, he memorized it, he wrote it, and then he came out and he wrote this book. He was in a Nazi war camp, and so it's pretty, pretty fascinating, uh, defined as something or someone higher than themselves, talking about God there. The next sentence says, financial success is measured by what stays, not what slips. And so there's a fundamental thing we're going to go after. You see, everybody, it feels to me like, everybody who is teaching finances is telling you about the income statement. Just, if you don't know what that name means, it's simple. It's just your, the piece of paper you write down all of your income and all of your outgo and you basically build your budget around how much does it take me to live on, and you have budget to actual worksheets. You, you've probably worked through this stuff, and you track your actual costs of car, you know, fuel and repairs and, um, you know, maybe insurance. And, and so you track all these all these items, and they're long. It becomes a long list. All the things that we spend our lives on, or we spend on our lives, and that list gets long. And so we we write down. We think we're going to spend fifty dollars on that this week, and the line below will get ten dollars, and the line below, no, that's rent. That's four hundred dollars, and you you kind of line all these out, and then the week or the month goes by, and you have to write in what you actually spent, 
And then you're like, well, did I do good or bad? So you have to get the difference. And by then you're so frustrated, discouraged, or worn out that you, you kind of stop in month two. That's, a, um, that's the typical budgeting model that's out there. And it's all oriented on the income statement. How much money's in, that's how much money I get to spend. There's a problem with orienting on the income statement. And I will get to that tomorrow. But the problem with orienting on the income statement is that you engineer your life basically to, to measure how much am I going to spend. Your, your life is basically, it's like, it's like walking through a dark forest with a flashlight right at your feet. You're looking, you know, 30 days ahead. How much am I going to spend on groceries? Oh, I'm out of money. What do I do? I guess we won't have as much entertainment this month. And we kind of, we're navigating, but it's like we're watching right at our feet. Does that make sense? And what happens is you get a good month, that means you get more income. So you spend a little bit more. Basically, you're tricked, not always, but many of us are tricked into basing our life on how much money is coming in determines my lifestyle, determines where I'm going, and uh, you basically spend it all. You always, have, you always have just enough money to reach the end of the month. Whether you're making $25,000 a year or $250,000 a year or $2 million a year, that's what they do. They spend it all. And because you have all of, if you're up at those upper ends where you have lots of income, it just qualifies you to buy bigger cars and houses. And so you go and buy those bigger cars and houses. And consequently, whether your big in incomes are little, you're still shining your, the light right at your feet and you're walking through the forest. Well, things like cliffs and gullies and dangerous things can creep right up on you and wreck your finances when you're looking straight down. Even though you're looking with light, you're focusing so small you're going to fall right over the cliff before you know it. And that's where you, you see patterns develop, where you see people go through life and they gain and they lose and they gain and they lose and they gain and they lose and it just becomes a cycle. We, we, you've seen this illustration before because I did it down here before. If you stretch this pattern over time, you get this, this pattern, this wave pattern, right? Stretched out over time, it looks a lot like a person who gains wealth and loses wealth. Gains it and loses it. Gains it and loses it. I usually get a lot of nods right there. People relate to that. Yeah, that kind of feels like me. We get a little bit ahead, and then something happens, a gully or a cliff, and we fall off the thing. Next thing we know, there's no, there's no bottom or we're at the bottom. We've lost what we've gained. We've lost our emergency fund or we've gone into debt on our credit or deeper in credit. And uh, they start the heavy difficult task of climbing back out. Well, the way you fix that is in four steps. And I'm going to send you to a page at the back of the manual. So I'm giving you a little peek sneak. Sneak peek? There it is. Peek sneak. <laughs> Doctor, <laughs> I'm on page 89. Page 89 in the manual is the is the secret sauce. That's the, 
That's the... Uh... Oh, did he really? Oh, my gosh. That's funny. He's your own secret sauce. I learned that from a guy, Terry Marshall. Secret sauce. Um, I'm on page 89, and you'll see strategies of a prosperous soul. So if you, like, get bored with what I'm saying and you fall asleep or something, you've got the whole nutshell right there, and uh, that's the beauty of the manual. It's all hidden in these four steps. Number one is discovery. Number two is rule of hold. Number three is become the bank. And number four is the debt assault. Those four steps will shift you from the income statement to this other animal over here called the balance sheet. You all have one. It's in the little packet that we handed out. Don't turn to it yet. But we're going to work on by, by the end of uh, the time that I'm with you tomorrow, you're going to know some things. You're going to understand what a balance sheet is and how to build it with your numbers. You're going to have your numbers mostly on it. And I'll explain by what I mean by that as we're there. You're going to know that if you take your assets on your balance sheet and subtract all your debts on your balance sheet, you're going to have this little thing called a net worth. Net worth is, is an amazing figure. It's something a lot of people don't talk about, but it's your altimeter. It tells you how high your airplane is. You guys are all pilots. Did you know that? You're all flying your little vehicles called your home like little pilots and little airplanes, and you've taken off at some point. Donna and I took ours off 30-something years ago, 33 years ago. We've been flying our little lives for that many years. And for only the first 15 years, we always lived on the income statement. We never knew if we were really gaining or losing. We knew if we were earning more. But at the end of every year, we'd do our tax return and we'd go, oh my gosh, I can't believe we earned that much money. Where did it go? Right? Anybody relate to that? Like, that's unbelievable. Where is it? So we finally figured out we need a way to tell if we're gaining altitude. What I mean is this, this climb. Are we climbing? And if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. So we needed a plan to, to our climb. Does that make sense? Climb. We want to climb, and we want to climb on purpose. That's our goal is to reach that. And so those two pieces are what we're going to work on in the next two days. And we're going to try to answer all these questions, and you will live happily ever after. Yeah, and all I ask is a 5% dividend for the rest of your life. The seminar is free, but when you guys come into your kingdom, remember Don and I, okay? <laughs> Who was that guy? That's in the Bible too, Joseph. Remember, don't forget Joseph. So, yeah, you see your net worth, your assets minus your debts. Assets minus debts equals a number, the net worth. That tells you how high you've gone in your little airplane. It's your altimeter. Does that make sense? If you're losing altitude, that means that your debts are getting bigger, right? Or your assets are getting smaller. But when those kinds of relationships happen, 
you can watch your net worth and it will tell you whether you're losing or gaining altitude. So your net worth is your altimeter. Your budget is your plan. I don't like budget. It's, it's a four-letter word. Plan. You, what were you thinking? I was going to say. Yeah. Budget is a four-letter word. Plan. Forget about, forget about the, 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 the stigma of budgets. Just forget about what budgets mean because it like gets people all tense and they start sweating and cussing and spitting and I don't like that. It scares me. So we don't talk about budgets, but we talk about a plan. Steve and Donna have a plan. See, plans are really flexible. Plans are like, I want to get from a net worth of $1,000 to a net worth of $2,000. That's a plan. Whereas a budget is over here on the income statement that says, wow, I only get to spend $7 on entertainment for the month? I can't even rent Redbox for that, right? Like, that sucks. So budgets, is it okay to say stuff? Okay, it's probably in the Bible somewhere. So, yeah. So budgets are, whatever that word is, not fun. But plans are really power, empowering. They're really inspiring. They're really, they give us momentum. They, they enthuse us. They give us direction. That it's the plan to get to where, what altitude we're wanting. So I'm going to give you a little super simple way to build a plan. The plan... Remember my budget over here that had all the lines, how much you spend on your car? Gas, oil, tires, insurance, interest, you know, all the stuff. License. That's really complicated. That's just your car. Then you got your house. Then you got your hair care, right? <laughs> Let's get serious here. We throw some serious scratch down on hair care in our house, all right? And then you get into shirts, right? <laughs> and you got all your stuff. So you get a big old long list. And you also have an example of that list in your handout. So in the paper part. So when we get to that, I'll show you that. But that's really clunky and cumbersome. And Donna and I navigate our lives from the highest level. Our, line, our budget line, our plan line has three lines in it. Three. It's really easy to remember. So I'm going to go ahead and say it because I might get on a rabbit trail and we might not ever cross this path again. I just have no self-control whatsoever when I'm up here. So the three lines are living, giving, and saving. You take your, amen, sister. You take your whole plan of life, everything that you spend your life on, everything that you're executing, everything you're aiming at, everything you care about, Everything you have to do, like taxes and paying penalties, all the way to groceries, all the things fall into these three categories, living, giving, and saving. So if you set an altitude on those things, that's how you increase your net worth. So how these things work is what we're going to spend the next three sessions on, all right? So page 89, discovery, rule of holes become the bank, and debt assault. Discovery means, you can read it yourself, but I'll just say real quick, discovery is one of the hardest moments in the whole plan because it's the thing that says, Pilate, open your eyes. 
a lot. A lot of Americans don't even know how much debt they owe. They know they owe. They know it's a lot. They know it scares the dickens out of them. They know who to write the checks to every month. But they are terrified to look at the total. So discovery is not easy. It requires you to get really brave and look at your numbers. So discovery lives on the balance sheet. Discovery identifies all of your assets and all of your debts. It puts numbers to everything and does the math to figure your net worth. All right? This is a part where people begin to perspire. Because I hand out a balance sheet, and you have it. If you look to the third page in your handouts, it looks like this box. If you don't have a handout, uh, we have some back there. Because our faithful, this mighty man of God went and got photos, photocopies. Thank you so much for doing that. This is a balance sheet. We're going to spend some time around the balance sheet. We're going to probably spend, the goal is, it looks like I have about an hour from now. Is that accurate? A little longer? I think that's, that's going to be solid, yeah. To about 9.15. You guys okay to stick till 9.15? If you get done before me, you're welcome to go. But I'm going to try to be done by 9.15. And at the end of that night, tonight, I want you to have your uh, uh, understanding of a balance sheet and have, I think I can do this, I think I can have you guys have your own numbers dropping in here. I'll do some illustrations on the board and... Brent, could you take a photograph of that so I don't lose it? And then I'll erase all of that. But then I'll start, we'll start working through the details of assets and liabilities or debts, okay? Discovery is really important. It's what scares people. So we are prepared to sozo you through that. Yeah, this, you know, if, if, uh, if you look at your numbers and it looks negative, what happens if you imagine for a minute, if your assets... If you add them all up, let's say they equal $100,000. Wow, that's a lot of money. Maybe it's $10,000. Just drop a zero off if that makes you dizzy. But imagine you've got, let's say, $10,000 of assets. That's probably a student. Maybe you're um, a young couple just starting out. Maybe it's $100,000. Or you own a house, so it jumps up. Maybe it's $200,000. We'll have more time on details of this. But if you can imagine this, your assets of $100,000, and let's say you add up all of your debts, everything you owe, and it comes out to be $90,000. Assets are 100, debts are 90. That's a good day because assets minus debts equals net worth. And this person has net worth of $10,000, right? He has a little altitude. He's got 10,000 feet of altitude. He doesn't want to be flying over the Rocky Mountains. But he can cruise around down in the valleys, right? He's kind of a low-altitude guy. But at least he's got altitude. What happens if this guy has $100,000 of assets? This is person number two. And this person number two has, adds up his debts, and his debts equal $110,000. Dang. He has 100000 of assets and 110000 of debts. He has an upside-down $10,000, doesn't he? That's called 
Not net worth, but a net deficit. Ouch. Okay. That's the person that needs, begins to sweat, that is afraid to look because they know intuitively it's negative and I'm in trouble. I'm bad. God's mad at me. I'm underground. Yeah, you've become a submarine. It's true. You've taken your little plane and its little folding wings and you and you're underwater and you're just plowing away. And if you track this person two times in a row, let's say you measure net worth today and in a month you measure their net worth again, you're going to tell what direction they're going, whether they're going up or down. Does that make sense? And so this person might have gone from 10,000 negative to 12,000 negative in a month. Oh, that's a bad deal. This person is like flying downhill. He's underwater. He's down there with Leviathan. He's looking for things at the bottom of the sea. This is where people get really anxious because they feel like they're in trouble. They feel like, you know, I'm going to go to jail or I'm going to look stupid. These are real feelings. I'm going to get caught. Somebody's mad at me. Um, I've got really, really important news. I can show you and will show you tomorrow how to, in a minute, as easy as pie, turn that trajectory. It doesn't matter if you're the first person that's got $10,000 and maybe he's going up. Maybe he went from a positive 10 net worth to a positive 12. He's feeling like a giant. I can show him how to make it steeper. The person who's underwater, who's you know in the little submarine, in a moment, I can show him this is how you turn it around. Doop. Now, if that person can change the, the angle of his descent to $1 positive, he has turned around, he has broken the system, the, the cycle. You get that? It just takes a dollar a month. Not even that. A dollar a year. Now, you're not going to climb very fast. You have to hold your breath a long time. <laughs> but the point is, this accusation is from the enemy. And that is some of the rhetoric you hear in this orphan spirit piece. He's just going to beat you up. He's going to tell you there's no hope, and that's a lie. He's going to tell you that you're a failure, and that's a lie. He's going to tell you that your negative condition is uh, proof positive that you're worthless, and that's a lie. All those kinds of things that we can intellectually go, yeah, that's a lie, but we don't believe it. That's, that's evidence for you to go back and review the prosperous soul material because that's the territory of a financial sozo, right? So this is what I'm talking about. I'm going to show you a bunch of tools and a way of looking at finances. I'm going to teach you about how to change that trajectory. Super simple. I'm going to teach you how to budget or plan on three lines. I'm going to teach you how to watch your net worth. And I am going to aim at some of these that were on the board and say, now here's some wealth building tools. Okay, I've, it's easy to talk all that stuff, but I'm telling you, it's all about right here. It's not about the money. We are not a creature of, of wealth, of money. We are, we are children of, uh, check this out, we are, we are made in God's image, and God is a creator. And we go around doing what our daddy did. We create our own environment. 
And so if we're all twisted up believing lies, we are going to recreate those lies around us. So, praise the Lord. That's my spiel. I want you to... Yes, ma'am. Total net worth. Right, but let's say someone does have a positive net worth because they have let's say four hundred one k savings or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But um, but um, the I guess the liquid money in the bank and the debt, if if that portion of it is not positive, you still have you struggle with feeling mm-hmm. like you're in the positive. You, you mm-hmm. mean you're stressed. You're mm-hmm. you know you're living in a way that doesn't seem like you're going up. Does yeah, that make exactly. Sense? So I, exactly. I, so I guess that's the question. That's a good question. What we'll do, what, what you're asking about is step two in, uh, on page 89 where I had discovery and then rule of holes. Rule of holes is this, the, uh, the difficult part of, you see, the rule of hole is really simple. The first rule of holes is if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. First rule of holes, you've got to live within your means. But we don't get to that step until we finish Discovery's conversation, okay? But what you're talking about is what do I do when I literally have more months than money? And I've got the answer for that. It has to do with priorities, knowing what you're aiming at, and letting your priorities go to war. And we'll have a conversation around that. I've got stories. They're in the manual. You'll find them. There's two stories. There's a story about uh, this person... Uh, this couple, and they had a, uh, a real problem on their hands. They were losing their apartment. And they, uh, what are we going to do? We're, we have income, but it's not enough to support us. And we're about to lose our apartment. And uh, this couple was in their 80s. It was a big deal. And uh, I will show you, and you can read ahead and see tonight if you want. But uh, it's the part about Max the dog. Max the dog. They had a dog named Max. And so we'll, we'll cover that. But I'll, but I'll tell you how to do it. Yeah. I won't do it tonight, though, because I want to get through discovery. All right. You all have a balance sheet in front of you. That's good. I want you to, um, I think before we hit the balance sheet, I want to I give it a chance right now. We've done some fun stuff this, right, all right already tonight. We had you get in groups and talk about what you are here for. We had you um, interact with those people around you, and then we, we listened to what people wrote on the board. And so things are going on inside of you. I began to talk about submarines and airplanes and discovery and debt that's bigger than assets. I began to talk about all this stuff, and my hunch is there might be some things moving around underneath the surface, like, Anxiety. I think that might be cooking. Um, what I want to do is take. I'm going to have my bride come up here in just a minute, but we're going to we're going to go after this thing right now. There's this perception that we have circumstances upon us. They like dictate our lives. Okay. Now, the circumstances might be environmental. There's things outside, like my job won't give me that raise. Or, um, you know, I, I've got so much debt, I can't, 
I, I, I don't know what to do. I may never, un I mean, I was using little numbers. The truth is a lot of people that end up in my office, you know, they have assets of 100,000, they have debts of 300,000. And they're just like, you know, they're, they're petrified and humiliated. So there's those circumstantial, environmental circumstances. There's also things that are cooking in inside of some of you that might be like, like identifiers that say, I'm not worth getting rich. God isn't going to make me rich. I don't deserve that. I deserve to get out of debt, but I don't deserve to be rich. Whatever rich is, in fact, I don't even know how to define rich. I just know it's not where I'm at. Or, you, you know, you might be saying, um, actually, I deserve this because I was stupid and I made some investments or something happened and I lost, I lost in the stock market or I made whatever. I got into debt and now I'm kind of, I feel stupid and I feel like I deserve it. So what we're going to do is we're going to go after that in prayer. All right? Two of the items on the board were about anointing. And I do think I have that anointing to release hope and perspective and a freedom from debt. Okay? So we're going to take care of those two items right now. And what we're going to do is um, we're gonna, I'm going to have you guys stand up and I'm going to have you put a hand on a shoulder or hold hands, whatever's more comfortable. Sometimes holding... Hands on shoulders like breaks your shoulders off, you know. I don't want anybody crying while this is happening, unless it's the Holy Spirit. So get in a comfortable place, because you're praying for yourself, and you're praying for that neighbor, and you got one on each side probably. And, um, and I'm going to ask some stuff, and then, and then as Donna bumps into a wise idea from the Holy Spirit, she's probably going to, I'm seeing she's going to do some sozo stuff. We'll see if that happens. But she tends to do that. And if she starts snapping, brace yourselves, okay? Just, <laughs> just buckle up. If she starts snapping her fingers, okay? Because it's going to lift off. Yeah. So just put your heart. Like, turn your heart toward the father, face, face of the Father, would you? He knows you're here. He's looking right at you. He's standing there. You know what he thinks about you. He's better than you think. If you're hearing stuff that he thinks poorly of you, I want you to tell that liar to shut his mouth. And Lord, we ask that you would shut the mouth of the accuser right now. This is a very favored group. And you're not, these aren't in this room by accident. You were picked, you were handpicked. Do you realize that? You were handpicked. You were handpicked. So, Father God, we ask that we could just get a glimpse of what you think about us. We ask that you would show us onto your lap, into your arms. We ask that you would convince our doubting hearts where we're afraid, where we're embarrassed, where we're discouraged, where we're brokenhearted. I ask that you would fix that right now. Father God, you're really good at this. And I just release in the room hope. There's, there's, there's hope. It's, it's as easy as that. Oh, in Jesus' name. And I want you to take that. Is it possible? Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. 
possible. Thank you, God. We just let that hope rest here for a minute. I see it like a cloud, but it's not above your head. It's actually on your shoulders, and your head is in this this cloud, and he's working on your hoper. Lord, I ask that these, each of these that you, that you selected in here, I ask you to release some of their debt. I ask you to break that thing free that is hanging on to them. I ask you to do it in surprising ways. I ask you to do it to shock us and surprise us because that's called a sign and a wonder. And uh, he does this. I ask you to free us from bad God. And I get a picture, a second one. This is a, a picture of a calf running free from a stall. And that's in the Bible. But it's in my mind and memory because I used to see this. These little calves. We'd put them in these little narrow chutes. And we would brand them and give them vaccinations. And then we would release them. And those little dudes would come bucking out of there, happy, and I see you guys running free. I see you guys bucking around. But I'm going to ask that the Lord would teach you guys how to carry. I want you to enjoy that freedom, but I want you to set your hearts. You know what? I've got, got to do some business in my heart. I've got to learn how to carry my wealth. I've got an assignment. Papa, what is it? You should repeat after me. Papa, what is it you want me to build with my wealth? Pay attention because he's going to talk. Remember to write this down. Don't do it right now. Papa, I ask that you would break fear off of this group. Um, fear of failure, fear of exposure, fear of hoping. That you would just break that off. Mm -hmm. Um, Papa, I ask that you would um, remove every lie, <laughs> supernaturally remove the lies. Um, I want you guys to, to put your hands down and put a hand on the back of your neck. Mm -hmm. I'm going to clap here. Mm -hmm. Papa, yeah. I ask that you'd come to this place where each one of us learned uh, finances, <laughs> mm -hmm. how each one of us learned how to handle finances, whether they were scary, whether they were easy, um, anything in there, Lord, that is normal that we learned that has got us to this place of needing help. Yes. And I asked Papa that you would sever what was called normal. Ha, ha, ha. Oh. And instead you would take out all of those things that are not from you and you would place your mind, Papa, God, for finances. I break off the lie that we're the tail and I release the truth that we're the head. Come on. Ha, ha. Papa, I ask that you would supernaturally remove everything mm. Um, I just see him um, yeah. turning over like um, it's almost like sand in a timing glass, but it's, it's not. But it's like he's flipping it over and things are going to what was upside down will become right side up. Wow. And so, Papa, um, I just ask for everything that we have believed is normal but has actually not benefited us. We break those truths, right. <laughs> call them lies that they are, and we release you over them. Thank you, and we just, ha, we release 
Have a blank one? Perfect. If you look at the top one, it says, under, under the word assets, it says cash. So cash is easy to value. You can find cash in your couch cushions. Rare, but cash does exist. You can find it in the ashtray of your car. You can find it sometimes on the sidewalk. You can find it sometimes in your wallet. Yeah, not too much for me, but I find it in there sometimes. And uh, sometimes we take it and we put it in the bank when we get a bunch of it. So all of those categories, the shoe, the, the shoe under our bed that we stuff money in, the mattress, you know, the can in the backyard, all of those categories are just cash. So when you add up all your cash, if you think right now, you own that. That's yours. You own it so it gets to be under your list. And if you scratch it all into a mighty pile and you count it up and you get out your calculator and you count this massive pile of cash, how much would it be? I'd like you to write your number down. Think about how much cash you have, both in the rusty can in the backyard and in the bank account. You have, you have savings, checkbook. Savings is a different one on this list, but it's usually because I'm talking to people about the difference between cash in hand and cash in savings. But let's just rake it all together and write your number down. And you can be really secret because you know that person beside you is a spy. <laughs> he is actually going to tell someone off in Afghanistan about how much money you wrote down. No, they don't care. They got their own problems. So don't, don't be freaked out. Just write down your stuff, okay? Cover it if you have to, but realize nobody is really, you know, it's not going to change anybody's life if they find out what number you wrote down. Good. Good. Now, at this point, sometimes couples start fighting. <laughs> so, uh, if you're feeling jacked up about anxiety, um, get over that. Okay, next topic. That's my, that's my marriage counseling part. I'm not very good at that. Savings. There was this, this woman right here asked a really interesting question a minute ago. She said, um, she was talking about retirement plans and 401ks and stuff. That's that's money that's, that's cash that's locked away and you can't get it till you're old, like me, right? You can't get to it. So this is not that. This is money that you can get right to. This is money that if you needed it tomorrow or maybe next week, you could get to it. Money that is easily gotten is called liquid. Liquidity. You've probably heard that phrase. It means it's really liquid. I can get to it. And I can access it when I need, and I can spend it on what I need. That's what this cash and savings up here is about, is not your retirement money. Now, the way the balance sheet works is, as you work yourself down the list, you go from most liquid to least liquid. All right? So let's look down. Cash is more liquid than savings, because savings is in the bank, and if Monday is Martin Luther King's holiday, which it is, you can't get to the bank. So that is your cash, but it's not as liquid as the money under your mattress, right? Does that make sense? So that's why it's listed second. Well, underneath that, I go to a new category. And uh, so I'm going to move away from cash for a while, but it's really easy to value cash. It's kind of worth whatever it adds up to be. Receivables are a different thing. Now, receivables are the thing is, 
you know, Brent came and said, Steve, can I borrow $100? And I said, no. But I will loan it to Suzanne. <laughs> so, uh, that, by the way, is your first creating wealth tip. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, I would totally lend to Brent. So, but the thing is, this idea is if, if, if Brent borrows some money from me, so there's $100 just moved out of my pile of cash into his hands, right? It left my balance sheet. There was $100 here, and Brent asked for it, so I gave it to him, right? So it is now, my cash is now zero, but I have an expectation in this case of getting that $100 back, so I have a receivable from Brent, right? Well, my receivable is his payable, so on his, we haven't gotten to the debt section yet, but in his world, he now owns $100. He got it, but he owes Steve. Does that make sense? Okay, so think about your own life for a minute. If you have debt, you have money that's owed to someone else. You have a payable to Bank America or, you know, Wells Fargo or somebody, you owe somebody. Maybe it's Visa, maybe it's MasterCard. You have a payable. What is that on their books? That's an awesome asset to have, isn't it? Think about all of your debt. Is somebody else's asset? That's weird, huh? They have invested in you just like I did to Brent. So... I'm Visa, and Brent uses his credit card and buys something. Visa gives Brent 100 bucks, but now Brent has a payable to me. It's on my books as a receivable. You ever heard the phrase, become the bank? This is what a bank does, is it has a bunch of assets, and it's all of us in debt. We are working for the bank. Now think about that debt that you owe. How much is your interest rate? You don't need to say it, but think about it. Maybe it's 12%. Maybe it's 18%. Maybe it's 24%. Where can you get an investment that gives a 24% return? Be the bank. You see it? So when we get to working through this thing a little more, you'll remember on page 89... Step three was become the bank. And I'll show you why and how to do that and why that's so important, but this is a little sneak peek on how that works. You become the bank when you collect receivables. Now, I'm not saying go out there and begin to loan everybody money because that is really risky. And when we get to the wealth creation stuff, we have to learn about risk and reward and how that all works. And you've got to understand that you're in the food chain when you start doing that. There are big things out there that will eat you. They, do you know that sharks even eat praying Christians? Did you know that? Even God-loving, beautiful Christians are eaten by sharks. If they're where the shark is. Oh, imagine that. So, <laughs> mark that one up as a history, historic moment. So... We have to understand about debts and about receivables and how to become the bank and 
I want you guys to get smarter and smarter. I'm, I'm going to try to raise the sophistication in this room. And every time you guys lend, you are becoming the bank. Every time you borrow, you're on the wrong end of that stick. So let's go back to this. What's a receivable? I told you what it was. You've got money out. You're the bank. How do you value that? Well, for now, let's just say I gave him 100 bucks. So the, the receivable is $100. Now think about your own life. Raise your hand for I, so I can see. Is there anybody that has receivables? There's a couple. There's a couple. Okay, not very many. I'll bet you those that raised your hand, your receivables are not all going to come back in next month. They're long-term receivables. Is that true? That's true? Okay. Long-term receivables have to take you to another level of understanding. So the rest of you... Don't fall asleep right here. Don't, don't go drifting off on a little vacation. Just, just hang with me. When you have a receivable like Brent and I have, next month he's going to pay me back 100 bucks. 30 days, whatever. That $100 is worth $100 30 days from now. But if the deal is Brent pay me back that, that $100 in 30 years, how much is that receivable worth? Well, think about it. If you loaned me $100 and, and I said, I'm going to pay this back in 30 years, how valuable do you think that $100 is to you? It's going to be smaller than $100. Does that make sense? That's like 30 years from now. That stinks. That's, that's you know, maybe worth, is it worth, it's hardly worth, I'm, I'm just going to write it off. I'm probably never going to see that. Okay, that difference from 100 to zero is called a discount. And whenever you have long-term receivables, you have to discount the amount that it's worth in your hand. Okay? So now you can all wake up, those of you that were, were asleep right then. I'm not going to get really bogged down in this thing. This, this whole class is flying at about 10,000 feet overview. We're going to give, I'm trying to keep you from bogging down. But I'll get little, little moments there where I'll try to touch some of the more details so the folks that have these things know where to go. Easy. Go online, and you can find some powerful calculators online. They're all over the place. I have a few on my website, but you don't need to go there. Go to a place called moneychimp.com. Isn't that a cool name? Money like money, and chimp like monkey. Moneychimp.com. Dot com. I don't know why it's called that. But on that page, there's a thing called calculators. And there are the coolest time value of money calculators. So, for example, those few that raised your hand, if your receivable is to, ra to receive $100 a month for 30 years, how much is that actually worth today? It's not 30 years times 12 months times $100. It's something smaller because of the discount. Does that make sense? So you don't have to become a finance major to figure this stuff out. The web, the internet is loaded with excellent sites, and one of them are the cool calculators at moneychimp.com. So that's the end of that conversation. But there's an element of value. How much is that receivable worth? I'd like you to just take a moment, and if you have a receivable, write it down, what you think it's worth right now. You probably have a guess. 
Most of you don't have receivables, so you get to write zero. There you go. Boom. If you don't have any receivables, just write zero. Now there's the idea of stocks and bonds. These are all assets. Stocks and bonds. What are stocks and bonds? Well, uh, one of the questions was about stocks, and it is, I'm going to try to do this in about four minutes, okay? Just because I want to address as many of those questions that were up on the board. I'm, normally, I would just pass over this. But a stock is like this. Let's say I come up with this amazing idea. This idea is going to make millions. Prairie dog ranches. Okay? Prairie dog ranches are the hottest thing going. And its cousin, prairie dog rodeos. I'm telling you, this thing's going to be huge. He says he's in. Who wants to invest? So he's got 100 bucks. <laughs> Boom, right there. <laughs> See, he's smarter than me. This is why you don't invest with this guy. So we all say, I'm in Prairie Dog. That's amazing. I saw it on Oprah. So we all jump in. Let's say we all put in, the thing hasn't launched yet, but we all put in $100, let's say. So whatever there is in here, 40 or 50, I don't even know. But whatever, we, we add up all these things. And we have, let's say, $100 a piece, and we have a bunch of money. And so we go out and we, brought, we, we buy the herd, right? And fencing, and we do all the things that go with prairie dog ranching. And so uh, this goes along. Well, we incorporate, and, and in exchange for your money to be part of this amazing idea, I give you pieces of paper that look like certificates, and they have pretty scribbly around it. And it says on here, you're entitled to 100 shares of Prairie Dog Company for $100. So they're a dollar a share, right? This is your stock certificate. I give it to you. All of you have it. You now have proof that you're an owner. And we're all equal owners in this thing. So we're now, you have bought into a company. Like you could buy into... Southern Pacific Railroad, or Apple Computer, or Caterpillar Tractor, or Del Monte, okay? Now, prairie dogs totally go. They are, it's just nuts. We got prairie dogs, they're everywhere. They're keychains, they're pets, they're everywhere. It goes nuts. So what happens is, people outside of us start saying, I want to get into your prairie dog business. And we say, tough. Or you can pay extra and buy some of my 100 shares. Okay? That's the stock market. I go out and I, I say, hey, guys, this is awesome. They're willing to pay $1,000 a share. How much did we pay? $1 a share. They want to pay $1,000 a share, so let's print a bunch of more stock. And you all go, this is a shareholders meeting. And we all go, yes and amen. So we do that. We print up a bunch of this paper and we sell them thousands of papers at $1,000 a share. And the company is funded, cash floods in. And all of a sudden we are just like drunk with power, right? we got prairie dog franchises going on. We break out and we're in Asia. We go down into Australia, Brazil. They're everywhere. Brazil loves it especially the rodeo. 
So the thing is just going great guns. One day, a guy gets bitten by a flea on his prairie dog. And it makes national headlines, and they realize prairie dogs have fleas. And so all of a sudden, the stock price plunges because nobody wants fleas. So they say, when a stock price plunges, that means I'm this guy over here that bought him at $1,000 a share, and I'm like, I think I'm going to get out of this business, this flea business, flea-bitten business. And so they start trying to sell it. And they find a guy, will you buy it for 1000 No. 900 No. Eight? Seven? Six hundred dollars? You see the price is falling. Four hundred? Two hundred? Oh, sold at two hundred dollars. So the stock price fell down. Do you realize that that has nothing to do with how efficient our country, our company's working? Because we're still making money. See, the stock market is completely emotional. It's virtually emotional. It's driven by emotion. And when people think prairie dogs are going up, the price goes from one to a thousand. That's called Google. Because what is Google, really? Where is it? How do you touch a Google? You know, what is a Google, really? And so it's an idea, and people are like, I want Google. And so the price goes, what is it, $1,500 a share now? Some $1,200 a share? It's high. It's high. So... So this is the thing. The stock market is going up and down. The stock exchange is the marketplace where they go back and forth. Hey, bitter, bitter, one bitter, 100, 150, 100, 200. And they're doing that exchange over here. And we're over here holding the actual company. And we're the original shareholders. Now, we might have gone, hey, um, when we first started out, we all put in 10 cents. And we started the business. That's called an IPO, an initial stock Option, option, offer, thank you. IPO comes out when it finally goes public and we start to sell the shares at a dollar each. So that's what an IPO is. But once it gets on the market and starts taking off, off it goes. Facebook just did this, huh? I heard Twitter's getting ready to do this. Those things, you know, when they shoot out the gate and everybody starts buying the original stock, we watch and see whether it goes up and down. So the stock market, you never really, you know, it's, it was, it's an interesting thing. On the board, wealth building ideas. So here's a little side note for those of you who are wanting the, the meat. Do you know that the wealthy look at the stock market as a parking lot, not a place to make wealth? And most others perceive the stock market is where you make your money. A few people do. But mostly, the wealthy, the real wealthy, are invested in something, and when it sells and they make their gain, they park it in the stock market temporarily until they sniff out the next prairie dog ranch. See? So beware of the stock market and stock market tips. One of the questions was, how do I invest in the stock market? Um, I would say more except for time. I would say there's two camps, technical investors and fundamental investors. You probably know this. And... Uh, you know, you need to decide which of those two camps you want to live in or if you want a hybrid. And if you want to understand the camps, there's tons of great books. The best book I've ever read, in fact, it's like the gold standard on fundamental investing, is called The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. It was written back in the 30s, I believe. 
And it is, Benjamin Graham is the guy that taught Warren Buffett. And Warren Buffett is the guy that has been called America's greatest investor. And uh, so that's an interesting little thing. But I'm going to stop that little piece and go on down our balance sheet. The name of the book is The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. It's a great read. So stock makes you buy into the company. There's another kind of owner of a company. What we were were insiders. We were owners of the company. We were inside owners. There's an outside owner that's called a lender or the bank that is lending to the company. And when so here's our company. When we sold stock, those were equities or stocks. But that's how we got money. Remember that? But when we turn around and decide we don't want any more owners because this thing has taken off. We're gonna this is gonna this is awesome. But we still need some money for something, let's say. So we go out and we borrow the money. We sell things called bonds, and that's what a bond is. A bond is just like a stock, except that a bond is debt, and a stock is equity. All right? And there's different rights on each one of those things. But the bottom line of both stocks and bonds is if you own any, because the point of this conversation is to get it on our balance sheet. If you own any, you should know what its name is. You probably know how many shares you hold. And you can go to great websites or Wall Street Journal's website, which is called smartmoney.com. Key in the name of that. It'll tell you what its code is, its ticker, three digits usually, three, three letters. You put in that, and it'll tell you the stock price right at the time. My smartphone, I walk around with it all the time. And the stocks that I play around in, I can look right on my smartphone and instantly tell whether I'm making money or losing money, that whole deal. So... That's how you value on your balance sheet your stocks. Remember, a balance sheet is a photograph at a time. So you can get the value of your stock or your bond just like that by going online, shares times the value, the price that it's selling at right now, equals some number, and that's what goes on your balance sheet. I'm going to do uh, five more minutes, and then we're going to have some Q&A at the end. How's that? Really quickly, partnership and equities, a little beyond the scope of this class, but it's the way receivables work. If you own something, in if you own a business that's a partnership, there's a value to that. These things are gnarly. These are hard to value, but there's ways of doing it. If you have a tax preparer and you have a partnership, you probably need a tax preparer. He can help you value the thing. Okay, so that's, how, that's kind of a go-to on that. But you can imagine, we're doing the list of assets. These are things you own. And if anybody in here owns a partnership, uh, an equity or a share in a partnership or some kind of company like that, how do you value it? You're going to probably need some help. You're probably going to go get some professional advice. But you also notice that it's down the list about halfway. That means it's less liquid than the cash. Autos. Who owns a car? Yeah, a bunch of us own cars. How much is that car worth? Well, think about it right now. Imagine this. We're driving down here, and there's a new Tesla on the road. Those are cool little things. That guy just bought that car brand new right off the car showroom. 
I don't know what a Tesla costs, but let's say they cost $60,000 or something. I don't know. They're, I imagine they're spending say 60000 bucks. He drives it out of the parking lot onto the street. How much is it worth? Less. So this guy's sitting in the, in the showroom, and he starts it. He just bought it. If they take a snapshot of him running right then, he gets to put $60,000 down. When he drives it over the driveway onto the street, it's worth $45,000, 50 I don't know, but it falls to something. He goes and he parks at the nearby Target, and somebody rolls a shopping cart into it. <laughs> How much is it worth now? 40 You know, he gets a dent. He gets a scratch. He spills a key in the front seat. You know, things happen. Leaves an old tuna fish sandwich underneath. You know, the thing begins to wear out. It's like our cars. So you've got to figure out how much is this thing worth? So what you do on the rest of these, and this will be like a little homework assignment between now and tomorrow, I'd like you to think through this list a little more and think about, okay, what are my assets? Cars one. What is its replacement cost? Uh, what is its, what could I sell it for right now? What is its today worth? All right? So you can argue in accountants, we get all twisted up on this thing. So I have to like take drugs after I give you this kind of information. <laughs> Because we want historic cost. You know, it cost me 60000 I have to depreciate it, and I get all knouted up. So Donald sews me out this later tonight. But I'm telling you, don't, don't forget all that garbage. Just what is the thing worth right now? What could you sell that Tesla with the tuna fish underneath the seat? What could I sell that Tesla for? And maybe it's worth forty grand. so he would write forty grand down. Maybe your car is like our car, and it's kind of beat up and ugly, but we love it and it keeps running. So maybe it's worth like six grand. What could I sell the thing for? Kelly Blue Book might be a way to value it. But come up with something I could sell it for, and that's what I want down there. Now, along with cars, you might have boats. You might have RVs. You might have some of those kinds of things. Motorcycles, put them down there. What are they worth? What could I sell it for? Now, here's an important thing. If you're like me, you're an accountant, and you get all anal retentive on how much the money is worth. How much is that? Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm going to go do research for the next two hours. But there's this thing called Parkinson's Law. It says that the time you allot to a task will be filled with the task. So what I'm saying is don't you have sometime between now and next time we meet, I want you guys to fill out your balance sheet and come up with an idea. How much is that? Uh, motorcycle worth. And you can go research, but you know what? You don't have time. You've got like five minutes. How much is it worth? Nah, I'm thinking of a motorcycle of mine. That's probably worth probably $200. Now, am I completely accurate? No. But I'm probably 90% accurate. Yeah. So this is permission to just cruise through the list and get your numbers down. If you know the number, put it down. If you don't know the number, use your educated guess and put the number down. But the deal is to populate this list with as many of your assets as you have. Now, some of your assets are not listed on here. That just means scratch it out and make it fit, because this is just a form I built, right? There's nothing sacred about this. This is just a shot in the dark. Some of us own a home, personal residence. Who owns a home? Yeah. 
Okay, well, when you buy a home, usually, like our case, we bought a home a long time ago. It was a hundred and, uh, I'll say $150,000. We bought this little home back in 2000, 2000. I think it was 2000. Bought this little house for a hundred and, I think it was 160000 or something like that. But we didn't have all that cash, so we had to borrow money to do it. We, we put $10,000 down. Right? That means we, we bought a, a house for 160. We gave the bank, the, the seller, $10,000. And then we went to our friendly neighborhood bank and borrowed $150,000, didn't we? Okay. So what number goes on your assets? $160,000. Or what it's worth today. Bingo. But sometimes people get confused. Well, do I just put the difference between my value and the, and the debt? No, because the debt is separately listed down here in the, in the bottom. Does that make sense? So how much is my house worth today? Well, I wish this was 2008 because it was worth maybe $350,000 in 2008. But guess what? The housing bubble popped, and now i am probably got about a $200,000 maybe. But fortunately, my mortgage is less than that. In my case, thank you, Jesus. Let's say my mortgage is worth, um, let's say it's worth $100,000 now because we've lived there for 12, 13 years. So let's say I write down, I think that house is worth $200,000 today. So I write in here $200,000. And how much do I owe in my mortgage? Donna looks it up. She says, oh, it's about $100,000. Is that exactly right? She goes, shut up and write it down. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. So I write down $100,000, right? So 200 minus 100 makes me an equity in that house of $100,000, right? That's good. Some of us go and look, how much is that debt? And well, it's 250000 How much is my house worth? 200 Well, you put your $200,000 house up here. You put your 250 down here. You remember what Steve talked about when those beads of sweat come out on your forehead? You go to the Lord on this thing because this is discovery. And it may not look too pretty. But I want you guys to be brave and do that. Okay, because tomorrow we're going to start diving into the rule of holes, and we're going to, I'm going to show you how to turn that thing around, all right? The rest of the assets are pretty obvious. The theory just keeps going, but there's lots of assets. You understand? My iPhone is an asset, but it's too little to worry about. You see what I mean? My iPad, my, my glasses, my clothing are an asset, but they're not, they're not, I can't sell them for anything, so I don't list those. So that's how you get through your list of assets. Now on the debts, just very quickly, we've covered, we had borrowed money on the Tesla, so it goes down here. We had borrowed money on the house, so it goes down here. We probably have some credit cards. Some of you have, uh, I, I forget the average number of cards owned by an American. It's a lot of cards. I think the average debt is down. It used to be like $48,000 a piece. But I think down, I think I heard somebody say it's down to like 30000 or something like that, or 28000 or something like that. That's the average American credit card debt in America. You can Google that and get real data, but who cares? Because Parkinson's Law says shut up and write it down. <laughs> right? Just get it done. So what you do is list your cards. How much do you owe? Boom, 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 boom. You should know the balances. How do you find that? You go to your statement, don't you, that you get every month. 
And when we get to the debt, and I'm hoping, is there a way to project in here? Okay, so there's a little debt thing. We'll do that. Uh, we'll do that in the last afternoon. We'll just do a real quick little debt thing, and I'll show you a, a powerful tool called a debt snowball. Not new. It's been taught by Larry Burkett and Dave Ramsey and everybody and their dog teaches it, but it's really powerful. Yeah, and so uh, so we'll we'll talk about debt and how to get rid of debt in a strategy, but that'll come later. Right now, you're just listing all the stuff. What other loans are there? Well, Brent would have a hundred bucks to Steve, right? Unless he turned it around and he invested it in the Prairie Dog, and now he's a hundred dollars in stock. So he has both debt that he owes Steve a hundred dollars, and he put it into stock, so he has a hundred dollars in stocks up here, doesn't he? So that's how it works. Why don't we spend a few minutes? Doing some Q&A, because it's like 10 after 9. How are you guys doing? Is everybody worn out? Doing good? You're good? Yeah, we're, we're really cruising. We're right where I wanted to be. And uh, before I forget, and then I'll do some questions. But uh, before I forget, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to go home and have a sweet sleep. I want you to dream some stuff. If you get any cool, really cool dreams, share them tomorrow. But here's the thing. You're going to get a great night rest. And then tomorrow, maybe before we show up at 10 o'clock, maybe you could finish in the current column, your numbers. And I'd like you to add up all the assets, whatever amount you put in, your best guess, add them up and write the number under total right there. And then I'd like you to add up all of your debt. And remember, you only got a little bit of time, so just get it done. Just shut up and get it done, right? Just estimate. I think, it's, I, think I owe that credit card. I haven't looked. I don't have time to look. I left that back at home, but I think, I think it's around $600. Oh, great, $600. How about the second one? I think that's about $9,000. Oh, good enough. Okay? And you're going to add them all up, and you're going to tell me what your total, total debt is. And then I want you to take your total assets minus your total debt and know what your net worth is. All right? If you walk in tomorrow at 10 o'clock and you have that information, you'll be a rarity in the United States average investor. So, we were already getting ready to promote you above your peers. That's pretty cool. And we'll have that by 10 o'clock. Yep. And then we'll wrestle with the rest of the mechanics tomorrow, and that'll be a lot of fun. So, why don't we do the microphone and do a couple questions. And uh, this lady right back here had her hand up first. I think it's right on the floor right there. I peeked ahead at... Um some of your tables that you had handed out. Yay. And um, I noticed here that one of the categories just w looked, um, to me it looked unrealistic. Uh, okay. Knowing what the cost, it was medical care. I just know what medical care costs. Okay. And I was just wondering how you got that number, where that came from. So, for example, if, it, if you have a $24,000 yearly budget or yearly income or whatever. Are you a single? I'm looking at couples, and it says 7% um, with two kids, and you're going to be spending about $140. Yeah. Um, what does that cover? Is that after insurance, or is that the cost of insurance, or what is that? Yeah, that's, what that is is um, that is a estimate on my part based on minor research. And I use it as a collision to create collision in the 
dialogue that we'll get into tomorrow about uh, the rule of holes, okay, around priorities. You see, what I did there, and this is, I don't know if we'll have time, but what I, what I always do with this handout is I ask people for a homework assignment, which we don't have time to do. I ask you to offer anyone who wants to volunteer your actual numbers into one of the boxes. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we're in the handouts. And it's the pages that look like this. Okay? We'll, we'll thoroughly talk about this tomorrow. But she peeked ahead and she looked in here and she said, wow, these don't make sense. They work like columns. Well, if I'm a couple over here on this margin, if I'm a couple, me and my wife are married, and we're making, in her case, $24,000 a year, in our case, then these are percentages to live by. And the way I built those was based on, actually based on um, government, I can't, I can't remember the name of this site, but there's a government site that collects all average statistics around the United States of all households. And it has allocations and amounts. And I used that to kind of back my way to see what a standard average percentage would be. Now, those are pretty tough to make. And usually, when somebody comes to me and has that kind of a question, it's because they can't fit into those percentages. They, they say, this, this doesn't work. And the answer then, the conversation would turn, well, you still, theoretically, are in a case of only making 24000 a year. What are you, how, what are you going to adjust Well, we got the rescue of the nation coming with Obamacare. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So can you live on 24000 That's the point. You might, you might find your way. See, now, what you just stepped into was my office with a couple in an argument trying to figure out their life, and I'm saying, I just had this. And we go... Uh, this was a couple, this is a true story, this was a young couple, they had three children, they were living on um, a pastor's salary, and the wife was going to school. And their children were in Bethel Christian School's private school. And so they came in and they said, you know what, now these aren't their numbers, you got to understand. But this was the conversation we just had. And they came in, they had been living in this plan for about a year and a half. And they had mounted a bunch of debt because you'll see tomorrow the opposite of savings is negative savings, and that's called credit cards. Negative savings is credit cards. And so we had this really rough conversation. I mean, I don't have to get emotional about it, but they are very charged. And they're saying, what am I going to do? And I'm saying, well, let me look at your priorities. What are your priorities? They said to stay in this job because it's the dream job for my husband to stay in school. They were all priorities. And by the way, I'm only making $24,000 a year. I'm making that part up because I'm trying to stay with this example. And I said, okay, well, your $24,000 doesn't cover all your priorities, so what are you going to do about it? They go, well, that's why we're here. We're here to get some advice. And I said, my job is not to solve your problems. My job is to make you see the problem and make you powerful. Now, here's the deal. Your priorities start from 1 to 10. I said, what is your number one priority? 
and they right off the bat keep this job. I said, okay. What's your number two, three? I had them listed. So now this is this is um, prosperous home. 101. Now we're, we're advanced course, right? We're actually going through in the ring, duking it out. And we figure out that their first five priorities can be covered by their $24,000, but their next five can't. And I ask them the very difficult question. You're a powerful person. Do you think you can live on that salary? That salary isn't built to support a household with three children one income, the wife's in school, and your children are in private school. It's, I, I. And so they looked at each other, and it got a little heated. But they all of a sudden, the wife says, you know what? The only thing I care about is our kids in private school. And he goes, but I thought you wanted to go to school. And she goes, yeah, you know what I want more is to sleep. I want to sleep at night. And I'm just sitting there. It's working. It's working because they had a come to Jesus moment. And when we get down to step two, rule of holes, you know, and I mean, if they come into my office, it's like, you really want to do this? Because I'll pull the gloves off. I'm not being mean, you understand. But I'm like, you know, we're going to discover. Discover can, it's, let me tell you something. We are in a war. We're in a war, and the enemy wants to bound us up, bind us up. He wants to put us in debt, and he wants us living above, beyond our means and failing. That's what he wants, weak and struggling with debt. From now on, that's what he wants. And part of this thing, what you're going to aim at, for me, is like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to live within my means. And you know what? It's made Don. I'm just being frank. Made Donna make and I make some really tough choices. When I stepped out of my career as a CPA into being a pastor, a accountant at a church, it was like career suicide. I told my peers, oh, "This is career suicide." But I, I have to do something I care about. I just thank Jesus that it was Bethel. But for a lot of us, it isn't. But you know what? I would have made the decision a hundred times because I. I hated working in public accounting. Do you know that in public accounting, I'd be making three times what I do today? I'm not sad about that. Because they're all alcoholics, and their dog hates them. <laughs> their wife left. Their car won't start. They're living a country music song, right? <laughs> and I've got another thing going. I have a little bit of money. I'm not rich. I have a little bit of money. But my wife thinks I'm awesome. My kids love me. You know, my truck starts. You know, so that is how we would navigate. Yeah, those numbers in that box are hypothetical and not very realistic. They're not very realistic, but a family can be powerful. Even at twenty-four thousand dollars, they can make powerful choices. They could, in faith, not have medical coverage. I we didn't do that, but they could. I had. I'll finish the story that I started a minute ago. Can I go a little longer? Is it okay? You know what? It's 9.20, so if you're worn out, God bless you. And we've already prayed, so you're welcome to go. But I'll just go a little bit longer. The couple I told you about with Max the dog 
What was happening is they were in my office. This is, this is God, God's truth. I'm telling you this is the truth. They're 80 years old. They, have, they are losing their apartment, and they have a dog named, I don't remember its name actually, but I think it was Max. And the thing was like a Siberian giant. It was some monstrous thing, you know. And their, their decision was, we can't make it on these, this much money. We can't make it. What are we going to do? And I'm looking through their little list. They had them all written down. And I'm snooping down through the list. And they've got all their little numbers written. And they're living on nothing. And I get to the bottom. And there's, it just says max $150. Now these guys are living on nothing. And I go, oh, this is awesome. Because I can't make them like, spend less groceries. They're spending like $75 a month. And, you know, I mean, they're just eking it out. They're living in somebody's apartment for hardly anything. I get to the bottom, $150. That's like the cornucopia of money. I go, what's Max? They go, that's our dog. I go, that's awesome. Give Max away, and you can pay for your apartment. And they said, we are never giving Max away. I mean, they're just like, whoa, out of this chair. I'm like, whoa, we are never giving Max away. That's like our child. I went, ah, I get that, but what are you going to do? When you lose your apartment. See, so their priorities had to go to war. Their priority was to live in a nice warm house at 80 years old. And another priority was to keep Max as their baby. And I said, so what are you going to do when you lose your house? He said, well, we're going to live in our car. I went, so you're going to live in the front seat, you and your wife, and in the back seat is Max, and that's your plan. And they said, that's exactly right. And the Holy Spirit says, that's exactly right. Because they're not victims. They're making their choice. And I was like, okay. Now, I wouldn't do that. I would shoot Max or make him a nice coat out of him or something. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love dogs. But, dude, that's my... Or, you know, what would happen is Donna would shoot me and make a coat out of me. She, she's not going to live in the car, Right? So, but the point is they made such a powerful choice. They made a choice to keep Max. And I'll tell you what the truth is. They did keep Max and they did lose their apartment. 80, over 80, but we'll just say 80 years old, couple new married, <laughs> kind of fun. They, right before, as they're getting evicted, praise to Jesus, a friend comes along and says, hey, come and stay with us. They stay with this family for about a month. And the guy gets a job in Texas. True story. God rescues this guy, answers the cry of his heart. He keeps Max. Now Max can, Max can run, you know, in the wide open ranges of Texas. And uh, they live, as far as I know, and I just heard the other day, he still got a job. So God steps in, but you have to let your priorities go to war. And it's an interesting culture where, we, where I'm from. God, you can't outgive God. You ever heard that? And this idea that God is going to rescue me. And, and the guy who's saying it is Bill Johnson. And I believe, I believe this. But what the rest of the story is missed is that Bill is willing to pay the consequences. And people don't hear that. This couple was willing to pay the consequences. And they would, I think they would have lived in their car until they figured it out. So I think we're really powerful. This is, I'm spilling the beans on some message tomorrow. But the bottom line is when it comes down to it, and we have to make really, really tough choices.
you're going to have to say, I've known couples, families that have gone without medical care, medical insurance, and God just protects them. Uh, you know what I mean? I, that, I don't have the faith for it. But I'm just saying, you are powerful. And if those corny boxes don't fit, make them fit. Ask God to increase your income, but learn how to live within your means at that level. And where you can't, make your priority list. Put all of your things that you're trying to protect in a line, in a row, in a column, and then rank them. And put the most important on top, because that's what you're going to afford to do for $24,000. And at the risk of going too long, I will say, imagine this list of 10 items. The first five I can cover with my $24,000, right? The second five items I can't. That line across the middle is the line that marks the difference between bread and seed. Now, you see, you see, when you list your priorities, and now we're back to my couple in my room, and they are like, here's our priorities. And, they, and the husband was shocked to find out that that was not his wife's priorities. Which was, you know, awkward. <laughs> you should know that before you came here. But he didn't. Men don't know this stuff. We don't, I don't know. what It's like this DNA missing or something. It's like this dense thing that happens. But when you list your priority list, and you really figure out what's on number, t- on number one, you will fight like a bear for that thing. You know, this family that would... Uh, keep their kids in Bethel Christian School rather than anywhere else. I mean, they, they would, you know what they would do? And I believe they would. They would wait tables to keep those kids in that school. There's, they are ferocious for that. Do you understand how important that is? That priority was so big. And you know what? For them, probably number two was too. That number second priority was, that's the bread. When I say bread, I'll talk more about tomorrow, but I'm talking about the idea. It's true you can't outgive God. But you can't outgive him as long as you're giving seed. Because Hebrew uh, I think it's first Corinthians, I forget the address. It says that it's God who gives seed to the sower. And you can sow seed and God is gonna give seed to the sower. You understand that? You can't outgive him. But if you take bread, you see, everything we have can be broken into two groups, bread or seed. Bread rots when you sow it. That's why it says in 1 Timothy that it's worse for the man who won't support his family is worse than an infidel. You've got to take care of your bread. Your bread is what God has assigned you to. You with me? Your bread is you're going to do it. You're going to fight. You're going to pray. You're going to scratch. You are not going to lay down. You're going to get that. You're going to protect your bread. Your bread is what you feed. You know, one time my wife and I, oh man, I'm going long. I'll try, I'm sorry. I'll try to stop in like one minute. This little story. My wife and I went on a, we're going to get out of debt thing like commandos like just like you know storming the gates we're going to get out of debt and donna's right with me we're going out of debt we did this for a year and a half or longer i forget and i'm typical guy i'm just like you know whatever you know i'll live in a cardboard box i don't think about it 
like, yeah, we don't live, we don't have any money anymore. Whatever, I'm busy working. You know, I'm just doing it. Well, she's making the housework and it's driving her nuts. She cries one day and she says, I can't do it. You know, she's not a crier. So I'm like, whoa, whoa, what, what's going on? And she says, I can't do it. You know, the, the, I'm embarrassed to have anybody over to her house because we haven't invited anybody. There's, you know, there's big stains in the living room carpet. And, uh, you know, the, the couch is all bowed and old and worn out. I go, well, that's okay, you know. And the carpet, well, I parked my bike there at least. <laughs> it's fine. Nobody cares. She says, this is ugly. I, I'm humiliated. I can't have anybody over. So I realized I had been sewing too deeply. We had, we had gone into bread, and it was beginning to, we were beginning to eat ourselves. Bread and seed. Seed, you can't eat your seed, you have to sow it. Your bread, you have to eat your bread, you can't sow it. You've got to learn the difference between bread and seed. And your whole life will be busy at that, and it's a moving target. When I had little kids, we had different bread. Bread, bread was different for us. Now all of our kids are grown and moved out of the house and bread and seed. The lion has moved, but that's following the Holy Spirit. God is telling us what the bread is. And what the bread is is based on your priority list. That's what you're aiming at. God is saying what you, Steve, I want you to do this. And it, usually in our house it works like this. Not always, but usually it works like, what would happen? This is the Holy Spirit talking. Steve, what would happen if, and I go, Wow. Well, I know he's not asking for information. So it's probably an invitation. So I'll go to Donna and I'll go, I think he's saying this. I think he's saying this and inviting us. What do you think? And we make sure we're in agreement, which she's always in agreement. I mean, not always, but she's wise. Uh, you guys, listen to your women. They're smart. Okay. Even when they technically don't know some stuff, they know it in the spirit or something. I don't know what it is. Like, they have a little sense. They know stuff. Don't do anything if they're not in agreement. Anyway, we get in agreement and we, we go forward. The Holy Spirit is defining our trajectory. Do you see what I mean? He's telling us how high or low we're aiming. And God, you know, when, like for example, back to this kind of woman's question. When uh, the Holy Spirit one time invited me, he said, what would happen if you tithed 11%? Well, it means I've got to live on less. I'm, a, you know, I'm a, an accountant. I can figure this stuff out. When I'm tithing 10%, I'm living on 90. Right? Tithe means tenths. So if I give away 10, I've got 9 left, 90 left. Well, if I give away 11, I've only got 89 left. So this went on for a series of years. God kept saying, well, what would happen if you tithe 12? I swear to God, that's what he asked me. What about 13? I'm like, I know where you're going. <laughs> and so we'll talk. I'll spill the rest of the beans on that story tomorrow. But every time he changed that equation, it shifted, it shifted our life. We had to live on less and less and less. And uh, talk about a thing called a potted plant syndrome. We'll cover that as well tomorrow. But it is kind of getting late. You guys okay? Yeah. You guys are like... Like army men, you're like dug in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hear this guy out. Thanks so much for paying, paying such an honor to me like that and and listening.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's really sweet. Father God, I ask for sweet dreams tonight. I ask you to release wisdom. Because God, I believe I'm showing off my armor. And these men and women are choosing how to fit it, if it fits. So I'm asking you, God, to equip them. Either tonight or tomorrow or over the next days and weeks, I'm asking you to equip these men and women for war and their fingers for battle. That's Psalm 144. That he trains our hands for war and our fingers for battle. I ask God that you would release that in the room, that they would understand how we're going to accomplish this and be able to hear what the bread and seed is in our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And I say it's done. God bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'll see you tomorrow at 10, 10 o'clock. Know what your net worth is. Oh, thank you.